This week on the Michelle Mission, we review Losing Ground from 1982, Vincent's selection for this stop on the mission. But first, we look at five black films that we feel should join the Criterion Collection. We also give a spoiler-free review of The Batman. Vincent plays Six Degrees of Dervell Martin to Macaulay Culkin and Little Shirley Temple. And there's a whole lot more in store for you this week on the Michelle Mission. Welcome to the Michelle Mission, two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are inching ever closer to the end of the road. Mm-hmm. The road to 300 episodes, that is. And tonight, we are taking a stop in the year of 1982 to review Losing Grounds, Vincent's selection for tonight's stop on the Michaud Mission but first, but first, as always, shout out to each and every one of you out there watching us as we are streaming live to YouTube and Facebook as well as Twitch. Yeah. Hey, what's up? The uh, good friends at StreamYard. How you doing, Vince? I am doing just fine. Just fine. And yourself? I am doing very well. Good to hear. Hello to everyone in the chat so far. Robert Monroe Jr., Aaron Fry, Sharon Eldridge. Hello, hello, hello. Good evening, one and all. Yes, yes. Um, this was your selection. Yes. For the Michelle Mission. And without getting in, into any reviews or anything like that, like, had you seen this film before? No. Okay. No, no. I, I was just curious. Do you remember like how losing ground came to your attention? I think it is one of those films that has come to my attention since we've started this, frankly. Oh, okay. You, you know, right. just we'll, we'll talk about the history of the film, but it, it is a bit of a rediscovered gem mm-hmm. and, and, and one of the great, one of the great side effects of this post Michelle mission life mm-hmm. is that people who are very smart about films. Yeah. Talk to us. <laughs> yes. We've got them all fooled. <laughs> I, I know. Right. And this is a film that has come up. Yes, it is. Where, wow. where people have said, Oh, you know, you'll have a conversation with one of these very smart film people mm-hmm. and you'll talk and you're talking and then they'll say, Oh, well, have you reviewed losing ground yet? Right. And then as as you know, I I read about it and, and I said, okay, well, this apparently is a top shelf film and we'll pull it down as we get close to one of the hundreds. Right. So had you heard of it? I had heard of it, but mm-hmm. I, I had ne- never seen the movie. Right. Um and in in our defense, I think until fairly recently, mm-hmm. it was difficult to see it. Yeah. Like it it, yeah. it was on the it was on the the film circuits. Mm-hmm. And I think there may have been a DVD release. I'm not even sure if there was a DVD. Right. Well, I guess fairly recently. Yeah, fairly recently. But but I think the the way that many of us got access to it for the first time, and, and I don't know if I should say this now because this will be a great transition into something you want to talk about, but the um the Criterion Collection mm-hmm. actually pulled it in. Yes, they did. And and it's now streaming. 
yep. on on Criterion Station. So, I, and and I'll say this because we've talked about. I, I think it's it's an amazing time for these films that that for years you would hear about, but if you didn't catch them at a festival, it like you were they were re- coming gone. Yeah, they were coming gone. Like we yep. we've talked about. You know, I think Sankofa is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, a film that nobody knew. Where right, right. Daughters of the Dust is yeah. readily available. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, a, a lot of um, the Charles Burnett stuff is is more available than not. More available than not. Right, right. Like a lot of those L.A. Rebellion seventies, eighties art house films. Mm-hmm that that you know i won't speak for you but i'll speak for me like you know i would read about them and then or 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 there'd be a run at one of the local film houses yeah like one of the repertory things right, right like for like a week yeah. but if you yeah. missed it yep you, you, it was just gone so going to the ether yeah um it's funny that you like you mentioned thank you for the segue hey in regards to the criterion collection i do my best on slashfilm.com mm-hmm. we had an article about five black films that aren't in the Criterion Collection, but according to them, definitely should be. Okay. So I want to uh, run down these films with you, Vincent. This okay. Is, uh, Livy uh, Scott actually wrote the article. Hey, Livy Scott. Anybody know Livy Teller or, or him? We said, what's up? What up? Uh, the Criterion Collection touts itself touts itself as every film lover's dream and in the age of total uh, cinephilia. This could not be more true. The company is one of the biggest names in home video and specializes in preserving and distributing important films. However, the New York Times in 2020 conducted a study exposing clear racial blind spots in the collection. Oh, and slash films from the water is wet department. <laughs> endeavors to perhaps change that by selecting five films that they believe should be in the Criterion Collection, but aren't. All right, so the first film. Okay. From 1941. 1941. Directed by Spencer Williams. The Blood of Jesus. The Blood of Jesus? Yes, one of the most famous race films of the era. The Blood of Jesus is part uh, Orphean fable, part snapshot of a rural black community as the film follows a woman who, after being shot by her husband, must choose between heaven and hell. Okay, that sounds like something that should be in the Criterion Collection. It's yeah, it does. I, 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 why do I think? No, this is not the film that we review. Right, you're thinking about the sweet blood of Jesus. No, 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 no. I'm not actually thinking about that. I'm thinking about um another film that we review but it wasn't this it, it, but it, it's similar in tone mm-hmm. and around that around that time so i could see certainly a film like that now do they talk about why this film should be in the collection as opposed to any of the other quote-unquote race films from this period well here's what they say okay William, spencer williams better known as the actor who portrayed amos andy on amos and andy but yeah we did review this film I th- I'm pretty sure we reviewed this film. Does it have another title? Hold on. Let's see, now I'm going to... Because I do remember, now that you said, well, when they said um, Amos was involved, I do remember. Right. Because this is a film he made with the um, White Production House or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and it was part of his religious films that were sort of an answer 
to um Oscar Micheaux's more racy material. I believe so. I'm yeah, I do remember this. Was that was that what it is that what we um was that the title we watched under? I thought it was. Hold on, I'm I'm looking up because now that's that's not coming up. So I'm gonna type in his name. Because now I 100 percent agree with that. Of course. Um, we really enjoyed that film though. I thought we did too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know what? The the film that I'm thinking of is Go Down Death. I knew the title was slightly different. So this is the same film though? No, 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 no. This is Go, Go Down, Down Death is a totally different film. Right, because but it's by Spencer Williams. Because remember they said that I think he made a, a series of films mm-hmm. that were all religious in tone. Yeah. So this was so the blood of Jesus from 1941 predates Go Down Death, which is from 1945. Right. Well, I don't know about the blood of Jesus, but I would have I would have chosen Go Down Death based on our viewing of it. Uh, the he's not only the director of that time who rec- who deserves recognition, but again, the Criterion folks have to start somewhere, so don't they? Well, I I can agree as far as why it should be in the Criterion collection mm-hmm. is that if you're going to go back to that time in filmmaking mm-hmm. and try to highlight some of the more important filmmakers of the time, I think right. Spencer Williams deserves to be highlighted. Right. You know, maybe not on the same level as Oscar Michaud, right? But definitely right there. With. Well, the great thing is Oscar Michaud has gotten so much shine. I mean, there's actually an Oscar Michaud collection in the Criterion Collection. Yeah, there is. Yeah, they have like a box set. So, so I do like I do like this instinct to stretch out mm-hmm. to some more directors from that period. And Go Down Death was really interesting. It was interesting. So it was interesting. So okay, I'm. I'm so now I'm, I'm ready to check I'm, out the I'm, blood I'm, of Jesus. Right, I'm. I'm with it so far. Okay, which is kind of like similar tones a little bit. But anyway, all right. So the next film that they su- suggest, mm-hmm. this one, uh, this is definitely a film we reviewed. Okay, and this is Set It Off. Okay, the Queen Latifah, interesting uh, Jada Pinkett joint. Mm-hmm. Directed by F. Gary Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, reading from the article, you may not be immediately familiar with the name F. Gary Gray, but his filmography, while short, speaks for itself. He's a genre filmmaker best known for Friday, mm-hmm. The Italian Job, and Straight Out of Compton. Uh, but what makes Set It Off so incredibly worthy of criterion status is its rendering of the Black female's perspective. Oh, we'll be talking about that. That Set it off emerged in the midst of the golden age of black cinema made its premise that of four working class women who robbed banks to ease their societal woes, not only possible, but highly profitable. The 90s were a seminal era for black women in film, an era that couldn't deny the star power of actresses like Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith, Vivica A. Fox, and Kimberly Elise. Hmm. How do you feel about that? Well, okay. Um, I don't have a problem with Set It Off being in there, especially as as I continue reading. Mm-hmm. Um, the article says, it may not feel like a conventional pick for the Criterion Collection, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be the first time Criterion has inducted a mainstream movie looking at you, Armageddon. Sure. So... Regardless of what I think, if Armageddon is in the Criterion Collection, 
setting it off deserves to be in the criteria collection. And I do, and I do think that while I think you could maybe find other films that are just as worthy, if not more so, um, to highlight the black woman perspective, mm-hmm. you know, yes, in films, um, in all its variety and shades. Um, I don't think there's nothing, anything wrong with having more than one. Right. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with having one that is set most likely in a genre unlike any other. Right. Those films. Right. So I'm, I'm fine with Well, let's be clear. This, this is just an intellectual exercise. I'm sure anything that that is in this article, I would say, deserves to be in the Criterion Collection. But for the sake of argument, okay. like we're just doing five films. Mm-hmm. And and just the argument that this centers black women's stories mm-hmm. in the 90s. Yeah. Instead of set it off, I would replace that with just another girl on the IRT. That's a good movie. A, because like she says, it centers a black woman's narrative. Mm-hmm. B, it actually has a black woman director. Yeah. See, to me, the best thing about the Criterion Collection is when they highlight a film that you may not have known about. Okay. Like, like, like in my mind, the best, like my best experiences with, with the Criterion Collection is I see a movie that I didn't know about, I never would have looked at, and then, you know, oh, well, it's on a Criterion Collection, let me check it out. And and I think just another girl on the IRT is a film that need would need that boost more than set it off. Fair enough, but I think that set it off is a film that the typical Criterion Collection member or whatever they're called mm-hmm. doesn't know about. Right. Right. So I think it still falls under that demographic. All right. And like I said, I don't have, I have no problem with just another girl uh, on the IRT being on there. Absolutely no problem at all. I also have no problem with set it off being. I don't have any problem with being. Yeah. yeah, Like I said, I look everything that you're about to say. We're going to say, oh yeah, that should be on it. Yeah. We just, we just arguing. All right. You know to argue. Um. Farrell Blackwell says just another girl is uh, is a dope pick. Mm-hmm. Co sign with you. Uh, another film. Now this is a film that I was unaware of. Okay. Um, and is it Fast Forward directed by Sidney Poitier? No, it's not Fast Forward directed think, by Sidney Poitier. Six film. It didn't okay. quite make it. Is it Ghost Dad directed by Sidney Poitier? No, it's not Ghost Dad, directed by by Sidney Poitier. No, that that was actually okay. taken out of the criteria. All right, taken out. Okay. Uh, this is Looking for Langston. I've heard of this, but I don't remember anything about this. One whatsoever. of the major perks of Criterion is its ability to preserve and distribute films that would otherwise never, never have been seen by the audience they deserve. Okay, Looking for Langston is one such underrated gem. Um, it enjoyed a brief stint on Criterion's streaming service, but since leaving the platform, it's hard to find. It is a documentary um, that is a crucial contribution to the new queer cinema movement. 
that took root on the cusp of the early 90s, directed by Isaac Julian and released just two years after the death of Langston Hughes. It famously outraged the estate of the late poet for its depiction of his lifestyle. Oh. Hughes' sexuality is still Mm -hmm. widely contested today. He was notoriously private. What year is this film from? But many have used his poetry to suggest that he, like his contemporaries, Wallace Thurman and James Baldwin, identified as queer at the very least. What year is this film? Uh, Let me tell you. I... This is one thing I wish they had done. They should have. They should have given a given me years for these. Uh, hold on, uh, you know, in a second. Looking for Langston is from 1989. That's why I heard of it because I was in like I, I I feel like I was in English classes or English kind. Like I remember there was a bit of a brouhaha about this because mm. I had a couple of profs that debated whether or not Langston Hughes was gay. It's got a whole documentary on it. Look, man. <laughs> I'm a pro documentary. That seems down. Yeah. I'm down with that. Yeah, that's why I heard of it. I'm down with that. Yeah, okay. All right, next film. Next film. Now, I'm going to most likely be mispronouncing this name. Okay. Uh, Sangi. Okay. Which translates to Tree of Blood. Okay. Another criminally underseen black filmmaker is the Bissau Genian director, Flora Gomes. It's borderline impossible to find any of his films streaming online, but Criterion could help with Tree of Blood. The film takes place in the African village Amanha Lunju, where the birth of a child is commemorated by the planting of a tree. As a child grows, so does its twin. But one day, the trees begin to fall one by one, and no one understands why. Wow. That seems pretty cool. What that does seem a, pretty cool. Is a film that weaves dreamlike folklore with more modern anti-colonial uh, colonial themes to produce one of the most ambitious African films to date. When it premiered at Cannes in 1966, Variety reported that its lack of dramatic structure would make it a challenge for non-African audiences. But it's this perspective that is so important for non-African audiences, especially film lovers, to see. Wow. Wow. That sounds like something our friends at Black Star should get. If they don't it And put a showing out, put put together a showing. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, that does sound pretty dope. That's really yeah. dope. Right? Wow. Mayori, give us a call. Well, yeah, Mayori, give us a call. Dave probably already. Gave I know. I've got my exclusive copy. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right, now, before I tell you the fifth film. Okay. They give us a bonus film, like a bonus six film. Bonus This is the bonus six, six film. So if film. they could have stretched this list out to six, they would have added this film. They would have added this film. Which I have to say, I'm surprised it's not already in the Criterion You're surprised collection. it's not already in the Criterion Collection. Yes. and Because this film was directed by Sidney Lumet. Okay. Written by Joel Schumacher. Okay. Oh. And it is The Wiz. 
Oh, I, I, yeah, I'm never surprised when the Wiz doesn't get any type of accolade or, or, or packaging. And I know we, we, we have very passionate disagreements about the quality of the film. Yes. But, but I absolutely 100% believe that a lot of the resistance to the Wiz, like all of the Motown, um, films. Mm-hmm. There's some politics involved. You think there's politics involved in in regards to the Wiz not being on there? Oh yeah, absolutely. Such as I don't, I don't, oh because of Motown. Yes. And Barry Gordy. Yeah. Really? Every, anytime we talk about Motown films, I think there is an aspect of Hollywood that has historically and continuously mm-hmm. downplayed and tried to punish. Motown pictures because they got out of their lane. I don't know about that, Vince, because on a whole, at least as I'm thinking about it, mm-hmm. the Motown motion pictures, first of all, their output was relatively small. Relatively small, but... And I don't think that their output was all... I mean, I, while I think their attempts were were noteworthy Mm -hmm. i don't think that their finished products were all that great i think bingo long and his traveling all-stars and motorcade always get this motor kings is just as good as a lot of those comedies that came out in the 70s that we celebrate i think the whiz Mm -hmm. just culturally Mm -hmm. is such an important film You know, Lady Sings the Blues, uh, you, you know, I can take or leave that. I think Mahogany is important. Like, these are important films. And I'm going to say this. Okay. Like, I ain't going to start talking about what is and is not on the Criterion Collection. But as the writer of this article pointed out, Armageddon got a Criterion Collection treatment. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff that has that C mm-hmm. on it, mm-hmm. that Mahogany the Wiz and Bingo Long are better than. Like if you and me pull up the page yeah. and start scrolling down, off the top of my head, I can think of five movies in the Criterion Collection that I've said, yeah, this is some white people nonsense. Really? Okay. All right. See, I'm I'm down for the for for the culture, mm-hmm. the whiz being in the Criterion Collection. I'll even go you one step further. Okay, I'm down for the culture mm-hmm. that lives outside my house. Apparently, mm-hmm. for the Last Dragon being in the Criterion Collection. See, the last I, I think I think that's a little different. I think the Last Dragon. Would I argue for the Wiz over the Last Dragon? No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I would, I would argue for the Wiz. You're just over saying, the you're, last you're saying, dragon. but the Last Dragon yeah. is is culturally yeah. significant enough. Yeah, I, I that it should that get there. this this mm-hmm. sort of um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. If you had to put, pick one movie yeah. from that year of the Last Dragon, I yeah. would pick Purple Rain. But I don't think that, that I mean talking about a film that should have a criterion collection. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that should be in there. But but now 
maybe politics or maybe just Prince's estate might keep that. From sure, sure, sure. But um, sure. But I could definitely, I could definitely see the Wiz, and I actually, like I said, I would have thought that the Wiz, yeah, just culturally for its cultural importance and significance. Mm-hmm was already in the Criterion Collection. If yeah. nothing else, even like for the culture, just because you would thought somebody at Criterion would realize if you did it, it would make a boatload of money. <sighs> yeah. Now, can you imagine like some big blown out Blu-ray of, of The Wiz behind the scenes stuff? Here's here's the thing about The Wiz and, and why I would argue for it so vigorously but ironically, this is also the reason I don't think it would be on the Criterion Collection. I think black people kept the Wiz alive. Yeah. Like, do white people watch the Wiz? I, I bet there's a ton. Most white people have never seen the That's Wiz. what I'm saying. Like, the Wiz is like the OJs. Right. Right, you know, right. Like or, or, or like, or like appropriately enough, like, like we were talking earlier and I was saying, you know, my dream is to be like Ralph Tresvant famous. Like Ralph Tresman could put on a baseball cap and go to go out to like Wayne, Pennsylvania in the suburbs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like just go to Target and like live his life. But like if he went downtown, he'd cause a riot. I think the Wiz is like that. Like, I think this is such a specifically black phenomenon mm-hmm. that its importance is the, the, the way it's important is what would keep it from the Criterion Collection. But to me, if I'm running the Criterion Collection, the way is important. It's the reason why I wanted it. You trying to expand your audience? Yes. I mean, look, I agree. All right. And and I will say this, too, because, you know, anyone who's been listening to us long enough knows me. Me and Criterion have a love-hate relationship. Mm -hmm. I think they've done great work over the past five years folding and diversifying and diversifying what goes into the criterion collection so so it's a lot of room to make up they've got but it it seems like somebody is is working on it right so fair enough now but it does not surprise me about the whiz at all that was the sixth film oh that was the sixth film okay wasn't the fifth film that was a bonus film so that was a bonus film okay so livy scott who wrote this article for slashfilm.com okay that there is one film that they would put in the Criterion Collection before The Wiz. Before The Wiz. And that film would be? That film would be Baps. Now, I'm going to read what it... Okay, go ahead, go ahead. There's no way Baps would be anyone's First choice for Criterion status. I will admit that this gravely maligned comedy from Robert Townsend, whose most popular film, Hollywood Shuffle, also deserves a bit of love from Criterion. And and, and, and the five heartbeats. I'll agree with Hollywood Shuffle. Um, Is my one selfish suggestion for this list. BAP stars Holly... Halle Berry and Natalie DeSalle Reed, rest in peace, as two homegirls who travel from Decatur, Georgia to Los Angeles to become video girls. To me, Babs is a cute, campy Cinderella story in the vein of all the fashion-forward chick flicks of the late 90s, but for some reason, Massage Noir, probably, Mm -hmm. is one of the most vehemently disliked 
of the era. Roger Ebert hated it so much that he withheld any star from his ratings. Mm -hmm. like the film is tacky and garish. Um, it's probably not a coincidence that the most scornful reviews for BAPS were written by white male critics. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the film is perfect, but it's hard to accurately judge a film about black women without a thorough understanding of the black female experience. BAPS was one of the few films in 1997 created almost entirely by black artists. The script was penned by Troy Byer, an actress turned writer who wanted to write the role she wanted for herself, maybe Corny Shore, and the ending almost conveniently happy, but that's why black women love it. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't choose that first. And I hear you over there talking crazy about the five heartbeats, but you know, we'll let you slide with that. I mean, I I'm not talking crazy about the five heartbeats. I'm saying all I was saying is that if we're if we're looking at the, the Criterion Collection, I will put Hollywood Shuffle before the Five Heartbeats. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, before yeah, yeah, but but I'm but saying. you know because I think the Five Heartbeats is is like the Wiz. I, I I was that was just I was just about to say if the Wiz can go in, the Five Heartbeats can go right. in. But um, I think there is a way to talk about Baps. Without putting it in the, in the collection? No, no, I'm thinking about my favorite, you know, my, besides the fact that it brings attention to films that that I, I never knew about. Mm -hmm. I think I also like the scholarly approach to the way they talk about the films. Like, there are always essays mm -hmm. in interviews. Yep. Yep. And I do think... Like, obviously, you could talk to Robert Townsend. Obviously, you could talk to, to Halle Berry. Obviously, you could talk to Troy Bear, even though if I remember correctly, I think there was a little bit of a little, bit tension. little tension between yeah. Troy Bear about her script and what ended up on the screen, which is why you would interview her yeah, and Robert Townsend in separate rooms. But I do think there's a really interesting black feminist perspective to talking about Babs. No, I do. I do. Where, where you, you know, you just tell, you know, we were both fans of the film. I was about to say, and, and, and this is an easy sell for me and you, because you and I, why did everything go blank on my screen? Oh, let me check. Did, uh, okay. I'm back. Yeah you, know. yeah. you and I are both fans of Babs. Yeah. Big time. So I think it would be a really interesting, put it this way. I think people have written a lot of smart stuff about films like Legally Blonde. Mm -hmm. um, even my beloved Bring It On, I think kind of falls under this. Clueless. Clu I, I was just about to say Clueless. And I think that, that kind of... Um, that, that, that kind of feminist reading of these texts mm -hmm. that you see that I think are very smart. You can do it with Babs. I think you can. So I agree. Yeah, I'm down with that. I agree. With All right. I'm down with Babs. I see people in the chat um, shouting out films out there. Um, I just want a few by you, Vince, see what you what you say. All right. A soldier's story. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Let's get some, uh, some uh, yeah. soldier story. Five on the black hand side. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Despite its connection to uh, Martin, Five on the Black Hand Side. It's not, not. It's not bad though. But yeah, but it's, it's not, not bad. It's not Criterion Collection yeah. worthy. No. Uh, no. 
How about the monkey hustle? Anyway, um, <laughs> the River Niger. Niger. You know, I don't think I've ever se- actually seen that. I know that I haven't. Yeah. I know that I haven't. One of those movies I've heard of, but. Fresh. Oh, yeah. Now, Fresh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have a lot of time for Fresh in the Criterion. Yeah. That oh, yeah. smells like Criterion. Yeah, I was about to say, you've got those wonderful early performances yeah. by Giancarlo Esposito and Samuel Jackson. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, And then there's another one I saw, Wild Style. I thought that wasn't. I was about to say, I'm surprised Wild Style isn't one, isn't in the collection yeah, already. Just, but yeah, because that's the documentary, you know. No, remember Wild Style's not a documentary, no, it's not. but no, it's- it seems like a documentary. Wait a minute, Wild Style is not a documentary. Oh, because Wild Style is the guy. It's fictionalized, that's right, right? Right? Yeah. Right. That's yeah. Right, technically, right. Wild Style is a movie. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Wild Style. Yeah, but Wild Style should definitely be. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, my God. Um, there's a couple of people, one in particular, that keeps uh, shouting out Beat Street. Go somewhere. Beat Street is not going to be in a cartoon. I look. No, Vince. No, Vince. I think it's the best hip-hop movie. What do you mean it's the best hip-hop what movie? What hip-hop movie is better than Beat Street? Juice. I mean, early hip hop. I don't. Oh, I don't so think Juice. Re- early yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, Juice doesn't count. And I'm, I'm talking <laughs> about. And, and Juice isn't really a hip hop movie, well, right? It has hip hop music as the backdrop. But I mean, a movie about hip hop. Brown Sugar. Yeah. No. Brown Sugar is about hip hop. Brown Sugar is not really about hip hop. It's a romantic comedy. Right. Right. With hip hop as a backdrop. <laughs> right. I mean, well, Beat Street is actually about hip hop, <laughs> <laughs> and it's got Guy Davis in it, Ozzy Davis and Ruby D's son. You just like all the other biters. Take a bite and leave the rest. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's my dramatic reenactment of Guy Davis's lines <laughs> from Beat Street. All right, all right. Well, yeah, good article. Where'd you say that was one? That's on Slash Film. And and the sister's name who wrote it? Well, I don't know if it's a sister. Or well, she 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 made references to being a black woman throughout. So oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Livy Scott. Livy Scott. Yes. Well done, Ms. Scott. Hey, Vincent. Yes, sir. Before time gets away from us, as it already has. Yes. As I told you, you I did. Had a, I had a fun end of my week last week mm-hmm. i went to see new edition in concert yes that was a good time Oof. it was a very good time. you was up late i was up late. <laughs> i told you you and toy almost gave me a heart attack you know i had my phone goes on do not disturb at 11 and then it comes back on at seven. Oh yeah so i woke up and it said i had 12 texts i said what is happening what what is wrong it's just you two texting about new edition yes they're going in <laughs> on new edition well, it was more her going on no, new edition <laughs> upset that ralph Tresman only had one solo yeah. while everyone else had multiple solos. yes yes which was a shame yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um so i saw a new edition yes great time oh yeah oh yeah and then on that 
Friday. I'm mm-hmm. blessed to go to a very early screening of The Batman. Oh, you so fancy. I know. Mm-hmm. And how was that? Well, I enjoyed the movie. Okay. I really had a good time at the film. Um, it was a lot of it, it it's three hours long. Ooh, that's a lot of Batman. That's a lot of Batman. It's not that many pretzel bites in there. <laughs> um, but shout out to the dine-in fashion district um, in Philadelphia where the screening was. Okay. Because their pretzel bites were delicious. Okay, I've not the, been to that theater yet. A good theater? The, nice, very nice. Oh, very nice. And the pretzel bites were like more like those, like, you know, like the artisan pretzels. Nobody really wants to hear about these pretzel bites. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. Awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed it, but you're eating up time talking about something right. nobody eats but you. So, but I wanted to tell you about the film. Please do. But I thought I felt the best way to tell you about the film was because I don't want to give out spoilers. Mm-hmm. So you ask me, okay, five questions, five questions, and I will answer them about the batman which will be in theaters this weekend okay i can ask any five questions any five questions all right do i have to see martha wayne's pearls at any point in this film oh, that's a good question i know that's it's a, a good, question. good question i thought about these questions martha wayne's pearls do not make an appearance interesting in Batman. interesting as a matter of fact as i'm thinking about it, i'm trying to think does marsh does martha wayne make an appearance I think she does make an appearance, but it's a blink in your misser. Okay. Bit of a comic-y question. Okay. Of the great Batman text, which one does this film pull from the most? Oh, okay. Because it pulls from a few. Mm-hmm. It wears, and it wears its um, inspirations on its sleeves. And I think maybe even more lovingly than a lot of the other films. Cause some films are like so slavish and like almost trying to copy mm-hmm. scenes. You know, I'm looking at you, Batman v Superman. Um, but this is definitely an influence. I would say, even though this film is technically set in year two okay. of this Batman, mm-hmm. I think aesthetically. Okay this film pulls from Batman year one, Batman year one by Frank Miller and David uh, Masticelli. Masticelli, the, the classic tale of Batman's first year yes. fighting against organized crime. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good text to pull from. That's an excellent text to pull from, but I will tell you there are definitely shades of the long Halloween Interesting. By Jeff Loeb and Tim well, that's, that's very much influenced by Batman Year mm-hmm. One. There are okay. definitely shades of that in here. Okay. And you know how everybody usually jumps on Frank, the, the um, like Dark Knight's tip, mm-hmm. or they go back to Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams? Yes. This one, I think, even more, especially in the way that Gotham City feels mm-hmm. in this film, pulls more from my my favorite time in Batman, Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which kind of leads to my third question. 
on a scale of one, which is Chris Nolan, I'm begrudgingly making Batman movies, so everything is hyper-realistic, mm-hmm. to 10, which is Tim Burton's gothic operatic art deco Gotham and designs. Mm-hmm. How would you rate the set design, costumes, look of the film? It has... Like Nolan tried to be like this hyper realistic mm-hmm. type of vibe. This, while still definitely feel like you're watching a comic book and it's Batman, it feels more real. It feels 100% more authentic. Um, and the costuming, like I looked at the Batman, co- that Batman costume, and while at first, glance i was like i don't know if i'm feeling that it works it okay works. it man it works okay and and but but like the way the city looks but the, and si- the, the city the designs the city, you the know city, here's what I'll, I'll say and i actually wrote a review for the philadelphia weekly that's gonna um i think it's gonna run on thursday um the city feels like gotham city it doesn't feel like fake new york it doesn't okay. feel like fake chicago it doesn't feel like you know just a bunch of sets on the sound stage mm-hmm. even though there are parts of the film that are that are filmed on us on a stage it's so intricately woven in but it feels like an original city like god like like you pluck gotham city out of someplace in the united states okay it feels 100 authentic and another thing and i don't know if you're going to get here is The people in Gotham feel real. They don't feel like they're just stage props. Okay. To be moved around. Okay. The cops act like real cops. Like okay. cops of like real cops. Which is the perfect segue into was this question number four? Yes. Uh Matt Reeves is supposed to have a spin-off or or a project. I don't I think technically it's a spin-off. Centering on the Gotham police. That's going to be on HBO Max mm-hmm. next year. It's, it's like going to be the Gotham Police, and and I think like the Penguins going to be involved. Mm-hmm. But but you know, as you and I know, there's a beloved comic series that was called Gotham Central. Yes. Is there enough of the Gotham Police, and I'm going to include Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon, that you think it can carry a series? You're not really introduced to that many individual police officers. I think outside of Jeffrey Wright, mm-hmm. Commissioner Gordon, with who. First of all, Jeffrey Wright does no wrong, but Jeffrey Wright 100% feels like he has made Jim Gordon his own. Okay. You know, um, immediately became my favorite Jim Gordon. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Like, hands down. Um, you, they don't introduce a whole lot of police officers uh, in this. They don't, they don't introduce any other detectives, um, which is smart. The, the the show is not going to set to for next year. Like, why mess around with the casting now? Okay. You know? Um, but I could definitely see this police force that is on display in this movie being the centerpiece for a series set in this world. Okay. Yeah. And I can see it. I can see it working. All right. It, it will. Well, it would it can't help but be better than Gotham, that thing that Fox ran. Right, 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 right. 
Okay, I think you made it. Do I have do I have a fifth question? You haven't asked about the main actors. Uh you, you know, look, how how was Robert Pattinson as Batman? He's different. He's diff- his Bruce Wayne is different, but it makes sense. When you have to what you have to remember is that this is a younger Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um and a Bruce Wayne who while learning to be Batman, he's also trying to learn who is Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, okay, as well. All right, you know I didn't want to get into the nuts and bolts because I'm assuming. People... And there's no reference to Twilight in this. Sure, of so course not. Of course chat not. Mentioned that. Of course not. Um, it's a it, it, it's a great film, and I I will say this: his chemistry with Jeffrey Wright's Jim Gordon. Is spot on what you want from the comics. Okay. And his electricity. I was about to say Zoe Kravitz. With Zoe Kravitz is. Mm, mm, mm. All right. So it sounds yeah. like you're recommending the Batman. I would recommend the Batman. Now, stretch. <laughs> right. I'm not going to lie. It's three <laughs> hours and it can feel three hours. But. There's a good action in it. There's no. There's not a bad performance in this movie. Excellent. Um, and it is the first live action. Like there have been live action Batman comic books. Mm-hmm. This is the first live action detective comic. Interesting. Starring Batman. Okay. All right. There you go. There you go. This has been Batman talk. <laughs> With the Michelle mission. Yes, it has. Yes, it is. Yes, it has. I see people are, are are racing. They can't wait to see it. And Robert Monroe Jr. says that Marshall Rogers is my favorite Batman artist. He is mine as well. That's a good one. I have a statue that is uh, made out of a Marshall Rogers Batman pose right here in the studio. That's a good one. All right. Vincent, it is time to play the the game show that is sweeping the nation. Sweeping the nation. I don't know if we'll have time to get to both names, but I have two names for you. All right. This week's uh, edition of Six Degrees of Dervell Martin. All right. So, would you like to start with a lad or a lass? I like to start at the beginning. I'm going to start with who you give me. How do you like that? All All right. Who you got? Let's get from six degrees and six movies or less. Six movies or less. Derville Martin. Derville Martin to Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin. Interesting. Who came to my mind because I just saw him in, um, as I watched the last couple episodes of The Righteous Gemstones this weekend. Okay. Um, Derville Martin is in Foxy Brown with um pam greer pam greer is in um jackie brown with samuel jackson samuel jackson is in goodfellas with um joe pesci joe pesci is in home alone with macaulay culkin very good vincent boom very good i knew you were going there well you were correct because what else is Macaulay Culkin really in? I knew you were going there. Yeah. However. However. You made a mistake. What's the mistake I made? Derville Martin is not in Foxy Brown. 
Um, if it's not Foxy Brown, what is it? Oh, you sure it's not Foxy Brown? I know that much. It's not Foxy Brown. Is that him in coffee? He's not in Foxy Brown. He's not in coffee. Is it Sheba Baby? There you go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Derbal Martin's in Sheba Baby. All right. There you go. There you go. I wouldn't say. Yeah. But I knew you knew. Yeah. Okay. All right. There you go. We got time for the other one? We do have time for All that. right. What else we got? Six moves or less. Six moves or less, Vincent. Get from Derbal Martin. Derbal Martin to Shirley Temple. Oh. No, <laughs> if you pull this out your ass, I will jump over the table and beat you with. Well, baby, get ready. Because Dervil Martin mm-hmm. is in Dolomite yeah. with Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah. Rudy Ray Moore mm-hmm. is in the monkey hustle mm-hmm. with, um. oh, I just, Rosalind Cash. Rosalind Cash is an amazing grace. Rosalind Cash. Hold on. I'm, I'm checking all of this. You check it. Amazing grace. Okay. Rosalind Cash is an amazing grace with step and fetch it. Uh, okay. Step, all right. Step and fetch it. Got you. Step and fetch it is in the littlest rubble with Shirley Temple. Boom. What's the name of that movie? The Littlest Rebel. The Littlest Rebel. Yes. I'm going to look this up. You look it up on, take your time, brother. The Littlest Rebel. Yes. 1935. Yes. Star Shirley Temple. <laughs> wow, Vincent. Boom! Wow, Vincent. Oh! Wow. Bruh. I I salute you. Uh, I, I salute you. I I I salute you, bro. Uh, wow. That's all I can say. I've been keeping Bill Bojangles and step and fetch it in my pocket. Well done. Well done. How you like that? I love it. All right. I love it. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have an actor that you want to suggest for Vincent to try and get on the six degrees of Derville Martin as we wind our way closer and closer to episode 300, hit, hit us up. Taking all, all comers. We're taking on all comers. That's what we're doing here on the Michelle Mission. Uh, you can send us a voicemail. <laughs> Call 215-867-9666. Tell Vincent and Len what actor or actress you would like to see Vincent try to get in six degrees from Derville Martin to your named actor. Challenge Vincent. Yes. Yes. 215-867-9666. Phone lines are open. Standard supply. <laughs> We're going to start playing some of these voicemails. <laughs> I mean, of course. People are leaving them. 
And you can leave these voicemails. You can say whatever you want on the voicemail, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it doesn't matter. 215-867-9666. Ready to review our film? I am ready. Let's get into our review of Losing Ground. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. Oh, good. It's the finest analysis of being an outsider I've ever read. I'm glad you found it. There are books that can make a difference in a life. You're terrific. Your husband appreciates you. My husband? Got you in a close-up, Professor. You look just like Pearl McCormick. Scar of Shame, Philadelphia Color Plays, 1927. Are we supposed to talk? I don't know. What's the purpose of the scene? Something to do with the relationship between the characters, the space, the light. to be an abstract painter and now he only wants to paint people. I am a genuine success! Your husband is a genuine luck! Success. Why don't we take a place for the summer? A place upstate where all those Puerto Rican ladies live in those old Victorian houses. down into someone else. And the very idea, how does that make you feel? I'm on shaky ground. Losing Ground, a 1982 film written and directed by Kathleen Collins, starring Sir Rex Scott, Bill Gunn, and Dwayne Jones. It is the first feature-length drama directed by an African-American woman, Sarah a cold college professor, and her husband, an ecstatic painter, spend a summer away from the city straining their rocky relationship. In this drama from 1982, that was Vincent's selection for this stop on the Michaud mission. Vincent, what say you of losing ground? Well, I think the story of, of losing ground is one that is intertwined with the story of losing ground as, as we mentioned behind the scenes, story. right, right. We mentioned a bit before the, the review, this is a film that Kathleen Collins made Kathleen Collins, who was an academic and a filmmaker, and it was not released in her lifetime. No, you know, she died and her daughter um, lovingly restored it. Yes. And and brought it to and brought it to the attention of people. Nina Collins. Mm -hmm. And after it was filmed at 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 a at a film festival, it kind of picked up steam 
And over the years, it is it has become one of these touchstones of black women filmmaking. You know, as you said, this was the first feature film directed and and written by a black woman. So just historically, it holds this place. Mm-hmm. As you said, this is a story about a, a, a married couple in in the early 80s, a married black couple. Um Sarah, who is a philosophy professor, and her husband, um, Victor, yeah, who is a painter, and and it is it as you said, it is about their relationship. It's set during the summer, where they they rent a house in upstate New York, and this domestic drama unfolds, and frankly. Even this description is enough that this is a film that is worth celebrating Be- because as, as many of the reviews point out, and if you, you can certainly infer it just from the description of the film, this is a, a movie about a black woman in contemporary times. And it's centered on the challenges she goes through. Mm-hmm. You know she's she's an academic, and 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 the, the the challenges she faces as a black female academic, like there are these moments set in the classroom, like the film opens and she's given a lecture, and it's mostly male students. Mm-hmm. Many of them aren't paying attention. Some of them are, you know, some of them are actually a bit disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Student comes to her after class. He has, you know, gen- in my most generous reading. He has a crush on her. He's got love in his eyes. But frankly, just from conversation I, I've had with women in professional settings, this is inappropriate. The way he comes at her. And when she kind of gently set lets him go, his attitude changes in a way that, again, I think if you speak to women who've had to juggle sexism and racism in the workplace, mm-hmm. it looks familiar. Okay. The way she dresses, like she's very prim, very proper, very buttoned up. And, and you know, she keeps her hair in, in this kind of bun. And the film lets you know through a couple of different moves that even this is part of the way she has to move in this world. Yeah. Her husband is a painter. And and while I don't think he's, a, you, you know, a struggling painter per se, I don't think it's too much of a reach to say that she's really the stable one. Mm-hmm. She's the stable one, which allows him to live this life yes. where he can be a painter. And and just from the, the text, like they, they're celebrating because he has sold a painting to a gallery. Mm-hmm. And the implication is that this is not something that happens that often. That's right. So therefore, she's the one kind of holding it down. Mm-hmm. And this is a theme throughout the film, whether we are talking about her husband or or her mother. Yeah. Who we who we come to find out her mother was an actress. Mm-hmm. So is that an actress, is an actress. So that both of these people, her husband and her mother, depend on her mm-hmm. to, as her mother says, you, you know, she said, um, Sarah says that towards the end, order. That's what Victor loves about me. And then her mother says, that's what I love about you too. 
so just as 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 this character study of this professional black woman in 1982 at a moment when we really didn't talk about black women's stories and certainly we didn't talk about a a a, a well-educated middle-class black woman's story this is as, as you know you understand why people champion this film you understand why people go go in on this film i think this film is also fascinating the way it is a film about art in general but also filmmaking itself. As I said, she's a philosophy professor and, and she's, she's working on the paper and, and, and she's written and, and her field is ecstasy. You know, she's talking about ecstasy and, and what does ecstasy mean? And her husband, who's a painter is, is grappling with what he, how he wants to paint. Mm-hmm. And, and he's going back and forth between the abstract and the realistic and this is something that both of them deal with throughout the film. And then the third part is that one of her students is a filmmaker. Yes. And he asks her to be in his film because he says that she has the look. And this is another moment where you know that what she's wearing is a bit of a costume. He says, you remind me of Dorothy Dandridge. Mm-hmm. But more specifically, he says, you remind me of Dorothy Dandridge in Bright Road. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, Bright Road is a film that Dorothy Dandridge was in where she plays a school marm. Yes. And when we think about Dorothy Dandridge, we think about Dorothy Dandridge at, you know, obviously in Carmen Jones or 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 Porgy and Bess and just very vivacious and 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 uber sexualized and you know Dorothy Dandridge. But in Bright Road, she's kind of Prim. prim proper mm-hmm. and the next year she plays carmen jones right so this is one of the moments where the film is is letting you know okay we're starting at bright road mm-hmm. but we might end up with carmen jones like this is the same woman mm-hmm. so he wants to have her in the film and to me the most fascinating part of this film and maybe this is my own sexism because I'm I'm a black man, not a black woman. So while I admired the aspect that that was sort of the character study of the challenges that she went through and 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 the tension in her marriage and everything that went with that, I think what drew me in the most was the exploration of of ecstasy and 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 you know and and her husband talking about the realistic versus the abstract, and then this wonderful move where the movie losing ground utilizes this student who's making a movie Mm -hmm. to talk about movies. Like there's this wonderful sequence where, where Sarah is, is with her co-star Duke played by Dwayne Jones. Yes. Who, you know, I think we've now watched his entire filmography. (laughs) Like we've done night of the living dead. We've done Ganjin Hess. We did beat street. Yeah. And now we've done losing ground. But the two of them are having a romantic walk. Mm-hmm. But the student filmmaker is giving them direction mm-hmm. on how to have a romantic walk. But it's actually a romantic walk. Mm-hmm. And then he get, directs them to kiss. And they kiss. But it's an actual kiss 
And it's just this amazing sort of metatextual moment where it's the film within the film and it's going for an effect, but the director, the, the actor playing a director is telling you what the effect is supposed to be. Right. So it's just this great, you, you know, I just love that, that part of it. And, and again, I think it's a really meaty film. Like you can tell this is a film that you can watch over and over and pull things from it as a film. And as a director, I like Kathleen Collins. Like I like, I really enjoyed a lot of her shot compositions. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, just these kind of stills. It's, it's funny. People have, have written a lot about losing ground over the past, you know, decade or so. And what's fascinating to me is like, if you look up 10 articles about losing ground, you know how they always have a still from the film yeah. with the article. You'll have 10 different pictures mm -hmm. from losing ground because there are all these moments in the film that you could just print, take a snapshot, take a snapshot and it could be like the poster. The script, I think, you know, the script is a little stilted. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell Kathleen Collins probably hasn't written a lot of screenplays. No, and she did not. And she did not. The acting, same thing. Um, her husband played by Bill Gunn. I like Bill Gunn. You know, Bill Gunn has been, well, he shows up in Gunn Hess, which you and I have watched. Mm -hmm. And he would show up periodically on television. He, he was actually on a couple of episodes of The Cosby Show yeah. where he played Earl Hyman's partner. A card partner but he has like this kind of breezy charm about him mm. that i really enjoyed mm. Dwayne jones who i just mentioned Dwayne jones has fully transitioned into older handsome guy okay you know from from night of the living dead like he's basically playing i don't know if you remember but you and i were trying to figure out who he played in beat street mm -hmm. you remember who he plays no Remember Ray Don Chung's character, who was a grad student? Yes. Remember she had the older prof who was kind of inappropriate? Like, he was like, they were halfway dating? Oh, yeah. That's who he played. And that's who Dwayne Jones is. Like, Dwayne Jones is, you know, he's like, he's a tall guy. Very tall. Good-looking guy. He's got the gray beard and, and the voice. And, you know, this is his thing. But... You know, Dwayne Jones isn't the greatest actor. He just sort of no. is Dwayne Jones. Um, Sarah, uh, Sarit Scott, who plays Sarah Rogers, also not the greatest actor, but I get her. Mm. I get her, and and like I said, just physically, when the when the 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 student says at the beginning, "You remind me of Dorothy Dandridge," mm -hmm. and I was like, "Okay, physically, I see how you know she's going to let her hair down." and be sexualized and so on and so forth. So that while I think this film is certainly more important than it's necessarily a film experience, mm -hmm. I think there's enough there for that part of it. For the film experience. For the film experience, yeah. Well, I don't. Um, I first of all, first of all, first of all, let me say this. Let me say this. You're right. The the place that this film holds in history of cinema in general, let alone black cinema, is worthy of note. 
you know, uh, this being the first feature film, you know, Kathleen Collins place. Um, and, and then it's, it's just a real shame that she, she did pass away mm-hmm. uh, very, very early, a very early age. And she passed away at the age of 48 um, before the film could be released. So the historic rena- uh, resonance of this film is, is definitely worthy. And the backstory and how our, our daughter Nina in 2015, you know, got it remastered, got it back out there, got the film and the work of her mother reappreciated is great. I, I Another point of note is her mother, the, the, the role of the mother, uh, Leela, Sarah's mother in this play, in this movie is played by Billy Allen. Billy Allen, who is one of the first, and I'm, I'm reading here because I was doing like a deep dive on some of the cast members. She's one of the first black actors to appear on television and stage in the United States. Period. Oh, wow. Um, during the 50s, she became one of the first black entertainers to have a recurring role on network television as a um, on the Phil Silver show. Uh, she was also one of the first African-Americans to appear on television commercials in the United States and was one of the earliest African-American actors on daytime soap operas that she appeared in the 1950s on the edge of night. So um, that, along with, you know, seminal work on on and off Broadway, mm-hmm. um, you know, I I think. It's very uh, serendipitous that she is, has a role in this film, playing an actress, probably playing a little bit of herself mm-hmm. in this in, in this role, giving out you know the life lessons that she has you know gathered over her years of uh, working before the camera. Um, so shout out to Billy Allen who. Uh, Lived to a long, long, fruitful life. Um, lived to the age of 90. Just just passed in 2015 when the film was re- re-released. So shout out to her. Um, so I think those are two points of note in, in this film. And I'm with you. Like, I caught the reference to Dorothy Dandridge and Bright Road that was mentioned in this film. I Ultimately, it doesn't didn't land with me because I couldn't hear it because everyone was talking. Well, especially the the act, the lead, Sarit Scott, was talking so low and I was turning about I had my volume on 50. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I couldn't hear her. I couldn't appreciate her acting. Like you said, her acting, was, you know, she's a little stiff as mm-hmm. an actor um, as were everyone else in this film. Um, Bill Gunn, I don't know what he was doing in this movie. Bill Gunn apparently did not find a line of dialogue that he couldn't, you know, do some type of interpretive dance to. Because mm-hmm. he is he is always moving. He's ecstatic. He, okay, you can be ecstatic in place, you know. <laughs> Um, and, and especially when he's just moving and everyone else is just standing there and he's just moving around, like, you know, just d- dancing around them. It's crazy. I like the idea of her doing this, this, this study, this thesis on, you know, ecstasy and, and ecstatic, but it goes nowhere in the movie. 
it really is all just words. It doesn't lead to anything. I don't think it plays a part in her life. Uh, don't give me, uh, let me correct that. I think we're meant to feel it plays a part in her life as she finds herself falling for her her co-actor, mm-hmm. you know, the Dwayne Jones uh, character. But one, that appears to happen only in response to her husband, mm-hmm. Victor, Billy Gunn, you know, making some very overt and um, uncomfortable moves on on the um, Celia, who is playing like this uh, woman who plays like his model. Yeah, right. His pain. You're right. The model that he's painting in this film. And it is, I mean, I mean, I was cringing at some of the moves that he was making on her and and God bless that woman in this film maintains her agency Mm -hmm. in the film, even though she seems to give in a little bit, but then she kind of like pulls back because she's like, Oh dude, why don't you, why are you still dancing? Why are you like dancing all over the place? Why are you jumping into the pool first thing in the morning? Yeah. Why, why are you like, why can't we all just dance here at this party? Like, it's just a lot of strangeness happening in this film. Um, and I just found myself having a hard time connecting to it. I didn't buy any of the dialogue. Um, I also, while championing the work and Kathleen Collins getting this film done, I don't think it's well directed. I don't think any of the shots are actually that great. There's one shot where the student director guy, who I should have known was a student director, because when we meet him in the beginning of the film, I'm like, as they pan across her class and you see all these 70s mustaches, you know, late, early 80s, 70s mustaches looking at you from the classroom. And then it stops on, on one guy and he's got a monocle. Yes. And I'm like, that brother's got a monocle. Why does this brother have a monocle? Well, lo and behold, he's the student director. Right, right. And there is a scene in later in the film where he is looking through said monocle at all of his his crew and performers, and then he eyes, you know, Sarah, and then he comes out running into the into the scene from behind the monocle. That is a nice scene, and it's a nice camera touch right there. That's the the only time that I saw any type of inventiveness from the camera work and everything else I didn't find that well staged at all to be oh to be honest I, re- I, I just really really didn't um and I didn't connect with the story I didn't connect with their relationship I didn't care about them having the troubles that they were having I got I got the same thing read as you that she was the breadwinner, um, but that was more through context clues than anything that the script or the acting is really telling me. Um, and the story I felt is kind of like meanders along. I think it meanders along a little bit. I mean, because she doesn't really meet 
you know, the guy that she's ultimately going to fall for. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even really get with the model who he's kind of going to start going after, which thus creates the tension in this film. That really doesn't happen for about 45 minutes. No, no, no. I think I think it is about her mental state. Well, I, I, I wasn't feeling her mental state. I, and, maybe, and maybe it's because her face doesn't change the whole movie. Her mm. tone doesn't change. Her, her inflection doesn't change the whole but movie. But I think she's constrained. Like, I think that's actually the deal. Yeah, but I, I, didn't, I didn't get that sense of it. I didn't get the sense of her being constrained. I actually got the sense that I, I, I'm not trying to be facetious. I got the sense that sometimes she was reading her lines. Yeah, by the end, like that last shot where now she's fully Carmen Jones mm-hmm. out, and yeah. she's I think has reached the state of ecstasy because yeah. she's crying and, and she and 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 it's that great irony that her husband sees her shoot the actor that right. represents him and he jumps mm-hmm. so that that kind of connects them. Yeah, see, but again, I and, and I I kind of got what they were going for but i don't think that the movie sells it at all i don't think i don't think it does a good job of selling it and it just i just really felt disconnected from this film and i i really did not enjoy it i'm sorry i mean you know you you don't have have to enjoy stuff but i absolutely see this like i see the connective tissue between i mean we were just talking earlier like just another girl on the irt or or another film that we watched um Watermelon Woman, mm-hmm. which which even Watermelon Woman, I think you can make technical critiques of. You can make, but technical- ultimately, mm-hmm. I think there's something about the way this story is told mm-hmm. by this woman about herself that I absolutely see this working together, and and well, I did buy it, and and I. I think there is something about I wouldn't say it meanders. I, I do think there's there's I'm I'm, I'm just going to keep using that word constrained. Like and and here's a shot that I did like. I love the shot of her in her office where she's like in this cavern it, it it's kind of you know her in this office and the walls are around her mm-hmm. and and then it, it the next scene is is victor mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's a gallery space or if that was their apartment but it's sort of airy and, okay. and i immediately got the connection that then they talk about that he has this freedom like when he goes upstate by himself and he's you know like you said he's always dancing yeah like he's always in this state of ecstasy as they say but the reason he's able to do that is because of her right she she her profession allows that right and you know not even like like yeah she's the breadwinner but i feel like it's deeper than that like she's kind of the foundation like so he gets to do all this stuff Mm -hmm. and be this way because she's holding it down yeah you know yes financially but also in other ways too and as far as the jealousy i thought it i thought it was important as she told her mother this is not the first woman like there there have always been women 
and and she said you know he gets ecstatic over everything over the over the colors and the way the life felt like that's just who this dude is now i will say that i appreciated her relationship with her mother yeah because i yeah. thought that i thought that it was nice to see that there was an open and honest relationship between her and her mother um and that you know her mother was there for her, you know, with a shoulder and also emotionally. Yeah. So I, I will say I appreciated that. Again, I think that's more so because of, you know, Billy Allen's work. Right, the as, actress. Yeah, as opposed to the other actress. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't think Billy Allen's given a whole lot to do in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like she just knows how to pull it off. She's a veteran. She knows what she's doing. Um, to be able to make... You know, she's been acting since the the 40s. Right. She knows about making more with less. Right. You know, Um, so I I did appreciate that. But at the end of the day, I really just didn't. And I guess maybe it's because. I could see her falling for Dwayne Jones because Dwayne Jones, like you said, is a big, handsome dude. Wears a cape. Wears a cape and a top hat. <laughs> and pulls it off. He wears it. <laughs> I don't know how much he's going to pull it off, but he wears it. Okay. Um. And like you said, he's a handsome dude, and he's got like a nice voice. But he ain't doing anything. Like there's nothing charismatic about him in in this film. Now, just just being anti to Billy. You know, Billy Gunn is mm-hmm. enough to make you just say, like, yeah, all right, I'm gonna go over here. I get that, but I still then don't buy their connection. One, I, I just, I just really, at the end of the day, look, look, I'm not just going to be there over that. I just really could not connect with this movie, and I just really didn't. You know, like I said, people should watch it. I think it's it's place and time, the connective tissue with just another girl, the watermelon woman is there. The watermelon woman may be aesthetic, aesthetically and technically a uh, not as well made mm-hmm. you know, as far as production wise mm-hmm. uh, as this film. Yet that script which is definitely about something and tr- and and it's going out its way to find different ways of show of saying something right is resonated with me a lot more than this script which despite the illusions that you're pulling from it just felt very by the by the numbers to me well the script of the story because I think the story's a little bit, certainly more, I think there's more plot to Watermelon Woman. Like, she was actually yeah. doing something, trying to find it. And certainly, I would say her relationships were more vibrant. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, like, dating, she's not dating this, that, and where, where this really is almost like, I don't know, this just struck me as 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 almost, you, you know, Plot-wise, almost like one of those masterpiece theater 
character studies, like like you know, an anatomy of a marriage. Mm, okay. Where where you know it's not a whole lot of plot. Right. We are really just looking at this relationship, which is all the more reason there where you've got to buy into the characters. Right. And I just didn't. The, okay. Okay. All right. Would you recommend that people I would. watch Losing Ground? Yeah, I would. I would. And I mean, we look. In a lot of ways, it's 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 a waste of time even talking about. Like you got to watch it. Like this is an important film. Mm-hmm. This is an important film, and and unfortunately, even with all of the work that someone like Ava DuVernay is doing, even with all the work that like Issa Rae is doing, like I'm thinking of Middle of Nowhere, I'm thinking of um, thinking of you know the work that Issa Rae did on Insecure. I'm thinking about the work that Ava DuVernay does on Queen Sugar. Mm-hmm. There still aren't enough serious explorations of the inner lives of contemporary black women. Yeah. And this is a very early one Mm. or a fairly early one, you know, during a time period where we, you know, again, it's like you have that, that kind of wilderness almost between the seventies and black exploitation. And then she's got to have it. Mm -hmm. so it's like this 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 kind of period that we don't have or we don't talk about a lot of films and you know so look it's an important film you gotta watch it i did think it was some interesting things going on in here and i did like some of the like i love the way she depicted this this upstate new york town like that scene that we're talking about when he went up with the the notepad mm-hmm. and he's just sort of on the street. And again, the streets with Bill Gunn, I mean, the scenes with Bill Gunn where he's just sort of free mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in, in you know, at Charmy. Now, I like Bill Gunn. Now, I will say that. Like, like I'm, I kind of like Bill Gunn just in, in general. And then, as we all know, Ganjin Hess is, is, is one of my favorite movies. But I like that. And I did. I... I really did like the parts of the film, kind of like you just mentioned, like the parts of the film that followed the young filmmaker making his film, Mm -hmm. I thought were actually pretty well done. Like those parts where I was like, oh, I really like this part. But, you know. So, yeah, I'd absolutely recommend it. I like for its cultural place in black cinema. I would recommend that people watch Losing Ground. Okay. There you go. There you go. And it's an hour and 26 minutes. There you go. There you go. All right. We always meet and agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, would you agree that it's one hour and 26 minutes? I would wholeheartedly agree, Vincent. There you go. Somebody posts that, uh, that, that gif of Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger putting their hands together. <laughs> I'm Carl Weathers. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta call weather. You gotta call call weather's quick. Yeah, you called it quick. You got it. You got it. All right. Um, and look at that. Sharon Eldred says, "Just placed on hold a copy of the DVD at her library." There you go. Well, there you go. All right. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we tell you what we are going to be watching next week here on the Michaud Mission, I invite you all to like and follow us on the social media of your choice, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It don't matter. We are all there at Michaud Mission. Follow us at Michaud Mission, M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N. Subscribe to the Michaud Mission on YouTube and Twitch at the Michaud Mission. That's right. The Michaud Mission is live on Twitch. You can also email the Michaud Mission at michaudmission at gmail.com. And don't forget, we're a proud member of the Podglomerate. Thepodglomerate.com. They make podcasts work. And if you don't want to email us, why why don't you leave us a voicemail? You can send us a voicemail called 215-867-9666 and tell Vincent and Len what's on your mind. Doesn't even matter. Come up with a Derville Martin uh, actor. You want to leave us a comment, shout out to Hazaj. You want to, hey, you want to, you want to rant at us. Feel free. Phone lines are open. <laughs> you know, this is the most entertaining thing that you've done and I don't know how long. You in this voicemail has tickled. Sometimes during the day, I'm going about my day, and I think about the fact that we have a voicemail, and I just start chuckling to myself. You know, there are podcasts that have a voicemail. <laughs> I know we're one of them. Yeah. There's some big podcasts. Big podcasts. Yes. All right. The Right Time with Bomani Jones has a voicemail. Has a voice, and so do we. That's right. You know who Bomani Jones is? Isn't he a um, sports journalist? Yes, he is. Boom. All right. Okay. Bill Bojangles Robinson. And seven fetch it, both in the Lulis Rebel. All right. Shirley if you would be so kind, ladies and gentlemen, um, on the podcast catcher of your choice, but especially if it is Spotify or Apple Podcasts, give us five stars on Spotify and Apple because that helps people find our show. Really would appreciate it. All right. Next week on the Michelle Mission, it's my turn. Yes, it is. And Boy, I am going. Look, I am. I am flirting with danger right here. Because this is a film that I have not watched since I saw it in the movie theaters, um, and now I can't believe it is over twenty years ago that I saw this in almost twenty-five years ago. I saw this in the theaters, and I have not watched this in the theaters because I walked out of the theaters twenty-five years ago, raging mad. Oh, I was. I have not been so angry coming out of a movie theater as I was. And now we're going to watch it. After I watched Ving Rhames in Rosewood. Rosewood! Interesting. Yes. Don't get triggered. Watch this film next week. All right. On the Michelle Mission. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, he's Vincent. I'm Len. And in parting, we say... We'll see you when it's time to meet again. Thank you.